You know him, didn't you? Then you had that one little feeling. But you waved it away. You should have listened to that one little feeling. Hey everybody, Just welcome back to the Lug Doll Podcast. This is your host, Elias Roush. This podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing the little things. 2011, 2021, not 2011, film directed, written by John Lee Hancock. Um, we know John Lee Hancock from a few different movies. Um, I've only seen a very long time ago, The Rookie 2002. Uh, obviously, The Blind Side was a big hit uh, in some people's households. 2019. Um, did not see Saving Mr. Banks, The Founder. Did hear decent things about The Founder. Um, I think that was about the McDonald's uh scheming that was kind of going on behind the, uh, the surface with uh, Michael Keaton starring as Ray Kroc. Um, uh, I did not see Highwaymen or The Alamo 2004-2019. Um, I saw maybe bits and pieces of The Highwaymen, but uh, honestly I was like, eh, it didn't sound that interesting and it went straight to Netflix, so there's that automatic stigma of before covid of things going straight to streaming just wasn't as high quality. So um, that's not necessarily the case now. And I think with television at the point it's at, um, that's obviously definitely not the case. Um, but is that the case with The Little Things? The Little Things is actually um, starring, uh, what is it? Don, Don, uh, Denzel Washington. Everyone knows Denzel from everything from, uh, you know, training day to, uh, what was it? Remember the Titans to, you know, two guns to, uh, fences. He's done, he's done too many movies, Malcolm X, too many movies to name off the top of my head that, um, we would want to go over, but the dude has so much range. He can essentially do no wrong. Uh, what is he an, is he an Oscar, um, nominated i'm sure if he hasn't already won i'm let me see yeah best uh supporting and um academy award winner that type of thing you know he's a charismatic guy and he can do very little wrong um so he's also accompanied by rami malik and He's this other individuals advertised on the poster as well, so it's not really like a, a like a cameo or anything like that. It's uh, Jared Leto as well. So the notorious Jared Leto, the inquisitive Rami Malek, and the charismatic uh, Denzel Washington. You know what can they come up with with this uh, interesting neo noir crime thriller written by John Lee Hancock? Um, let's talk about the, the premise real quick before I kind of go into my feelings of this movie, um, and the pros and the cons and, uh, everything in between set in 1990s, Los Angeles, the film follows two detectives who investigate a string of murders who lead them on, who lead them to a strange loner who may be a culprit, AKA possibly Jared Leto. Um, it also stars, the film stars Chris Bauer and Michael Hyatt, Terry Kinney, and Natalie Morales. Um, 
released in the end of January the 29th on HBO's streaming service, which was also part of the streaming services plan to roll out like uh, a movie for a month per um, for whatever the deal was on HBO Max that led to all this fallout. Um, well, I mean, I don't think I would have seen the little things if it was in theaters, unfortunately. Um, it just wasn't my cup of tea in the way that it was being advertised. I think it only got like 47% on Rotten Tomatoes at this point. And it's not like that would have been the one-all, be-all navigator. But there was nothing about this film that really felt like it was uh, exciting me to go see it in theaters, especially in a pandemic. So that's definitely not going to happen. So seeing it on HBO Max was probably the only way that I was going to see it. Like it says on uh, Wikipedia, it seems that there's been mixed reviews from many critics who's praised the direction, the performances, the atmosphere, which I wouldn't even give it all that. I think that maybe it has a little bit of dread to it, but to be honest, um, in comparison to movies such as like uh, Zodiac, Prisoners, um, uh, Once a, Along Came a Spider or whatever, I, wasn't that with Morgan Freeman? Um, and then we have Seven. It, it's just like there's so many different movies that feel like they've done it slightly better. And from what I hear is this was written by John Lee Hancock. Um, I'm not sure if he did the screenplay, but um, I'm guessing he did. He wrote it. But it feels so... It's It's rooted in the 90s, and it feels like it's still in the 90s. Like they didn't update the thing at all. And so... It's to the, almost to a laughable point, in my opinion, that they're doing and saying things that we've seen done in earlier movies and now mocked, and now they're trying to bring it back. It's like there's so much stuff that we're that we're having to, uh, I don't know what to uh, describe it as, but it it feels almost uh, as predictable of a film as it probably could have been with with this sort of set of circumstances. Let me see if I can find uh, uh Yeah, yeah. David Fincher essentially he didn't rip off this movie at all, but what from what I can hear is this movie was um this movie was um made after the little things was created uh, or written or whatever like that. So you could technically say that the little things was before that, but from the script, the script is so dry. The script is dry in a way that they try to have the the characters say witty witty things, and they're kind of like what I call is like ping pong dialogue. Like the dialogue is so fast, like you can't even keep up with what they're saying, and. I think The Social Network was a great example of that with another David Fincher film um, in the way that they were uh, they would talk back and forth. I think it was Rooney Mara and uh, Jesse Eisenberg. They had excellent dialogue when it was coming back to... Like, the, the type of things that they were saying were interesting and the, the dialogue sounds smart. This doesn't, unfortunately, sound like were progressing any of the character development at all. I, To be honest, 
when you're introduced to these characters, which I feel like there's next to very there's very little introduction to them as as people, I guess. I I, I guess just showing things and showing objects and showing uh, a cross on somebody or just showing them that they acknowledge religion does not make that a religious person especially if you like i don't think that the character development this in this movie is what really is um hurting the majority of this i i think that what the little things the little things is is a movie that is wrapped up so hard into trying to uh craft uh a different and unique kind of crime story that is supposed to be uh, involved with the two detectives to the point where it's kind of making them go a little bit psycho, a little bit psychologically like unstable and crazy, maybe a little bit to the point of I, I haven't seen Zodiac in a very long time, but I think that they start to, you know, mentally, mentally, I think that they are trying to get the detectives to go to a point of like. You know, we got to do anything to get this guy. You know, it's it's getting to that point of uh, uh, stress. But this movie has a tension problem, and it has tension in scenes, but it doesn't have tension that flows over to the next scene, which makes me feel like it's almost an editing problem in itself as well. So there's a there's a number of things that I, I'm going to kind of compare this to like a, a a car of some sort. Now, when I say I don't like, I'm not a fan of how this film's edited. I've gone and looked at the editing of this film. Uh, Robert Frazen, and he was an editor on a couple of things I actually did like, actually recently too. I'm thinking of ending things was not a movie I was extremely crazy about, but I did feel like the editing in that movie was very uh, specific and particular to every single part of the scene. I felt like the little things was almost like, um, like a combination of like, oh my gosh, this there's nothing happening in this scene, so we got to cut to like ten different shots. Um, but I've seen this editor in other things, so I. Uh, th I'm thinking of ending things might be the only thing I've actually seen him in, but I did like that movie and I just wanted to be, um, upfront about that, that it's not like I wasn't crazy about, like he was on point break and shit like that. I, I liked point break in 91 assistant editor, Catherine Bigelow. Like he's worked on other movies that I've liked. Uh, I don't know about Indiana. Oh, last crusade. Yeah. Um, there's definitely movies that this editor has worked on. So I just want to be clear that when I'm kind of pointing at the editing in this, but there was a sh the, the first shot that I I realized. Okay, so let me just break it out for anybody that has not seen the film and wants to, you know, uh, leave us here. Do you, Should you watch the movie? This is kind... This movie is a good lesson in what you should probably focus on in... A movie when you're crafting it this feels like an unfinished movie from a script standpoint and it came to the production uh to, to post-production and they were trying to editing it and they're like all right uh, is it uh a neo-noir like uh, a david fincher film slow and you know trot pacing or 
is it a psychological thinker or you know what kind of movie is this and to be honest i don't think it knows what it wants to be and it needs another rewrite of just kind of exploring who these characters are and with the revelations like they're trying to have you know this big twist at the end uh, the big twist is not like more more or less revelatory it felt kind of somewhat predictable and a little bit like unnecessary unnecessary to the plot it's like oh okay it's not like an oh okay it's more like an oh okay i guess that happened um but almost unfazing to the rest of the plot like um basically i think this is a good lesson in how you could improve this movie i think that this movie could there there could have been additional scenes there could have been a rewrite in the writing phase that would have updated this movie made it a little bit less predictable and made the characters more likable i think this had thomas newman who is uh he's done tons of things he's shawshank redemption uh what is it? Wally's, uh, Skyfall. I mean, tons of fucking 1917. I love this this dude's uh, work. He's done a lot, and I didn't feel like they really utilized his uh, capabilities to the most full effect. And I felt like that once again because of the editing. They the supporting cast is just like it feels somewhat of uh, you know saying that. They're really good for having them on television sounds demeaning or demoralizing, but I feel like um, there's some characters that you could just feel that, you know, they were reading off a script or this was, this was like the fourth take that they have done or something like that. It didn't feel natural, and I don't know if that comes off from it's a little bit of the acting, a little bit of the directing. I'm not really sure, but that was just me. I, just some scenes in some uh lines just did not sound uh you know well spoken in my opinion so once again um i think there was room for improvement in this movie on a budget of 30 million yeah it's pretty slim but i mean you're gonna have to keep it slim these days um let me see what else we need to know okay so i think we're going to talk into oh did i, did I give pros and cons i kind of did i basically said i like the casting for the most part um but uh the things that i really didn't like was well casting and maybe like tonal tonal direction like i felt like i thought i know what kind of tone they were going for but i wasn't like dreading anything like there's all the movies that i listed at the beginning of this review i felt i had uh, a better grasp on tension and dread and most of it became it came down to because we understood the characters a lot more. And I just felt like I didn't connect with a lot of these characters, even though I'm drawn to these characters as actors. So, um, so yeah, the casting was, and the music was the things that I liked. Things I wasn't too crazy about, before we get into spoilers, things I wasn't too crazy about were um, the writing. Like I said, it feels like it all came from one mind. I felt like everybody was talking as if they had read off, read the script and they didn't have any meaning to the things that they were saying there was only a couple of characters i felt like they were like they didn't feel like they were reading fresh off a script um it did feel predictable i felt like half of the things they were doing were from earlier uh crime movie tropes and stuff like that we've seen done better in other movies they need some more originality with this movie um 
and the pacing is weird. Some of the times it feels like there's like high tension and uh, dread, but other times it just feels like we're watching like a, a really high budget Law and Order. Um, let's see, editing is noticeably not that great when he's getting in the car uh, at the beginning of the movie. So this was. This is not really spoiler at all. It's just like he's getting in a car. The uh, Denzel's getting in a car after he's petting a dog for like two seconds. And when he's doing that, the camera takes maybe eight different shots to show him getting into a car. And I wasn't really sure what we what it was telling us. You know what? You know what it's kind of feeling right now? Is that they already had Thomas Newman's musical edit into what was going on. And they didn't have time for him to go back and do more or something like that. Because it feels like the pacing at the beginning was not in, tonal, in tone with what was going on. Because I feel like they should have had this you know, fast talking kind of uh, editing and stuff like that. But the music was telling me otherwise. So... I, I do feel like it was almost like being in a car that was a, a, someone that had just got a, a a nice car, you know, not not too nice of a car. We got a nice car and it was manual and they didn't know how to drive it, so we were just like went straight to third, um, third shift. So I felt like we were just like driving in third shift the entire time watching this movie, because it just felt like something wasn't quite right with what was going on, cooking behind the scenes of what was what everybody was on the page with doing, like. The cinematography and Thomas Newman on the music both felt like dread and, uh, you know, kind of dramatic tension building. But in other scenes, it felt like there was just a, a, a flat drama, like a flat drama, like a PG-13 flat drama. Um, so, yeah. Uh, let me see. Let me see. All right. So let's talk about the plot real quick. What are we, 17 minutes in? And if you want the full review, be sure to check out patreon.com slash Podcast. You'll be able to get all of the podcasts early. You'll be able to get them um, mastered. You're going to have all of the podcasts archived. You're going to have all of the access to VIP, depending on which tier you want to be on. Um, but yes, all of that helps support the Lucky Dog Podcast. We cannot do this podcast without your support. Thank you, and check out all the links below for anything else uh, additional for reaching us at Lucky Dog Podcast. Once again, we stream live on Twitch. We are uh, posting our content on YouTube, SoundCloud, Patreon is the best way to uh, reach us. We also have a Discord just to hang out with everybody. Sometimes we talk about, you know, side things, uh, you know, in investing and stuff like that. Nothing too crazy, nothing official. It's all just, like, uh, small stuff. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, gaming, we talk about all types of stuff. Um, check us out on the links on there. So, yeah, we are going to talk about the plot right now. get a little water and now these are for all of the high paying dollar money maker people up in this joint thank you for sticking around and supporting the podcast here we go the plot one night in 1990 a girl drives on a highway 
stalked by a motorist. She pulls over at a gas station where the motorist follows her. The gas station is closed, and she is forced to run through the desert. She catches the attention of a passing truck driver escaping from the pursuit. So I'm guessing by the, this point, we know everything that happens. I, I, I want to just reiterate what happens at the very end. Rami Malek, okay, this is all spoilers now. Rami Malek ends up whacking the fuck out of Jared Leto after Jared Leto takes him out in the desert and says, look at look in here and just dig up some holes just to see if there's any bodies in there. I'm pretty sure I put uh, Rebecca Ratfield in there, whatever her name is. The The girls are completely inept. The, the, the victims almost feel like second thoughts. They're not even important. Our main characters are barely important at this point. But anyways... Rami's kind of going crazy. Rob, the fact is, we're supposed to believe Rami Malik is going crazy over um, him not finding these girls. And it's just like, what the fuck? Like, it's, I understand it's been like two months, but dude, he, he doesn't, we're, we're not established that this dude's like off his rocker. We're, we're just told immediately that he's, he is the, the hot shit by the, 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 the bossy, um, uh, police chief. And so I want to just establish that I don't think that we get a killer caught by the end of this at all. So, um, uh, what else do we have? Sometime later in Bakersfield, Kern County, uh, Deputy Chef Joe Deke Deacon is called to the L.A. County Sheriff Department to collect evidence pertaining to a recent murder. Deacon, a former L.A. Sheriff's Detective uh, Company's recently appointed lead detective Jimmy Baxter to the scene of a new murder in L.A. Uh, Deacon notices similarities between the M.O. of the killing of and the M.O. of uh, serial uh, serial murders case and he was unable to solve um so basically they bring in uh deke who is uh denzel washington kind of washed up kind of don't know why he never got uh you know a promotion later we find out exactly what happened um i will say the reveal of what happened just feels un it's just a flashback in a way for a flashback's sake. It's a, So flashbacks are supposed to reveal kind of a character motive and maybe unlock some, some part of the character we were un, uh, unsure about. But with all the signs that we have of Denzel's deep character... Um, you know, he never, he, he never progressed in his job. He's not really sleeping that great. He dreams about these dead girls of the murderer he never solved. And he's not really that interesting of a guy, to be honest, past that. Like, he doesn't, like, I think they, they show a little bit of his family life and, uh, and they kind of talk about, you know, his girls grown up, but we really don't have a grasp on this character of who he is. I think that there's a real problem with this movie when it comes down to grasping the characters and how they are supposed to make uh, us feel as, um, you know, sympathetic to them. 
I don't feel like they have much personality. And so, continuing on, that night a woman named Rhonda Rathbun is followed by a car while jogging and is reported missing the following morning. Now, this is like when I noticed when the editing was really cheap. It was just like, all right, we see a car and a woman go down a street, and then the camera pans up and looks over the city, and we're supposed to know by that that she has been kidnapped. Now, I don't need to see the entire thing happen. I don't need to see all that happens. Sometimes that can be smooth. But I felt like the beginning is showing a guy going after going after this woman who's just like, you know, lollygagging, da 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 singing or whatever the hell. It's like the the cliche guy that runs off the woman off the road and then chases her to an abandoned gas station kind of thing. It's like we've seen it in all those movies, the slasher films. But um what this guy does seems almost inconsequential in a way. Like there aren't really big clues in my in my opinion, that really are showing big uh, revelations towards um, Jared Leto with the exception of just blatant, just evidence that just feels like it was there Um, and not exactly in a smooth or natural fashion. Like, everyone kind of feels a little bit not that smart. So, especially the police force in this. So... Um, let me talk about uh, a little bit more. So that night, Rhonda Rathburn uh, reported missing, blah, blah, Um, Baxter learns from the precinct's captain, Ferris, that Deacon got divorced and suffered a heart attack due to his obsession with the unsolved case. Um, he's advised not to to involve him any further but Deacon takes vacation leave to assist in solving Baxter's case um, the next night the police discover the body of another victim washed up beneath a bridge Baxter learns the MO is uh, consistent with the earlier murders earlier murder and earlier killings the victims were all prostitutes stabbed to death Deacon begins investigating Albert Sparma, a suspect working at a repair store in proximity to the murders. Deacon tells Sparma, but is thwarted, so he brings Sparma in for questioning. Sparma taunts the detectives while under interrogation and is released after provoking Deacon into an angry outburst. So, this was kind of a lot. Um... So I thought we were going to get some like motive. So thing the thing about like having a a mystery crime thriller is that you want to make in my opinion you want to make the viewer feel like you're on the detective's uh back. Like literally you're on his back like you're trying to look for the clues just as much as he is. You're trying to piece the puzzle together. You're trying to make it all make sense. Now, when the thing is they're showing, you know, maybe this girl was moved. Maybe this girl was uh, had a bag on her head. Maybe the guy came back. Maybe come back to that shit and talk about it and maybe give a little bit more uh, insight on it in a way that makes it interesting to the story. Now, maybe, like, maybe I missed a line. 
I I can always say that, and somebody's gonna comment and say, "Well, dude, did you not see when they said da 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 da?" And it's like, "Oh, well, then you're right, and I completely fucked up." But from what I can tell, there was no connective tissue to the the things this guy was doing in an interesting fashion. Besides the uh, uh, the demographic of women that he was killing, yes, it was women that were prostitutes that were stabbed, and they had some sort of connection to the earlier killings, but there's no connection to the story that we're even like following, which uh, it's like, okay. So continuing on, um, yeah, so investigating Sparma, the Sparma, Rami Malik, Denzel trio just felt like uh, one of those weird jokes that you'd say like, all right, so uh, a priest, a rabbi, and a Catholic, you know, uh, the, <laughs> you know, and a monk go to a bar. That's it. Felt like almost that obtuse, just uh, to the point where it was just like, I don't really know why. I don't really know why that was necessary. Not why it was necessary. Obviously, it was necessary to the plot. But what I'm saying is, I don't really know why. Denzel and Rami Malek felt like they were in a drama and what's it uh Jared Leto felt like he was in a completely different movie it's it's it just feels like when it comes back to the direction it was really hard to tell who was in what movie in their head because it feels like Leto was having you know some some short quips but he doesn't feel established as a character either just kind of scummy um, but he really isn't like established as a character either. And Rami is barely supposed to be a family man, if at all. Um, but like really not interesting. The the people are just not characterized interestingly at all. So, um, yeah, let me see what else we got. Uh, okay. So Deacon... Deacon loses his shit while he's talking to Jared Leto for, like, what feels like absolutely no reason. Just like, all right, we need to have somebody spaz. Um, and I didn't feel like what anything that they were doing was, I don't know, like, prov Jared Leto didn't seem like a character that you would be worried about getting too overworked with. Like, he just... He just seemed like a dumb guy. I almost felt like with Kevin Spacey's performance, yes, I, I don't want to talk about the entire backstory of Kevin Spacey, but I will say he played a, uh, he played a smart criminal, quotations. And I felt like they needed a smart criminal in this. And no one in this movie felt like they were portraying a smart character at all. And so these, yeah, th I think that's what it is. It's these two detectives who you're supposed to believe that they've, they're kind of haunted by their past and they are supposed to be extremely smart and well, well versed and they're just hit their wits end. Well, they need to hit their wits end when they've come to their, met their match, not when they met fucking bum ass Jared Leto was Sparm Sparma Big Al Big Albert 
I was, I think that's what the big thing is, is like, you're supposed to believe that this Albert guy has really gotten under their skin and provoked them to the point where it's just like, all right, that's it. It's like, I didn't feel that at all the entire movie. And I think that was the big misfire in it is that you, you almost should have had, uh, like a, a Jesse Eisenberg type character of ridiculousness. Oh, oh, almost just take Jesse Eisenberg from Batman V Superman, just the ridiculousness of it and put him in this. He, it would have made more sense to be honest, talking about grandma's jar of ass or whatever the hell that he's talking about in that movie. But what I'm saying is they need, they need a character that, um, is, smart and kind of cunning and outwitting them and i don't feel like that's what they got here at all and it's not what they told leto to play at all they told him to kind of play like a uh a dumb redneck guy that might have some extra uh side activities that he likes getting involved in so i just like i don't know about that so let's uh continue a little bit more the FBI is called in to take charge of the investigation within the week, giving Deacon Deacon and Baxter less time. Ferris informs Baxter that eight years prior, Sparma confessed to a murder that he couldn't have committed when he was 10 miles away at the time. Also that he's obsessed with with crime and is is an unreliable uh, suspect. Baxter and Deacon go to Sparma's apartment and conduct an illegal search as deacon searches the apartment a police radio goes off and he escapes from sparma's home after sparma's called an officer down police arrive and deacon escape while baxter sees sparma watching the ordeal after an unsuccessful search of sparma's apartment the two detectives tail sparma to a search uh, to a strip club for the following night uh, Baxter comes, corners Sparma alone, and demands to know Rathbun's location. Um, Sparma offers to drive him to where he supposedly hid Rathburn's body, and Baxter cautiously agrees while Deacon follows. So, during this entire time, they do find a little bit of, quote-unquote, maybe a little bit of evidence, and they they find that little thing that's like hidden under the floorboard and of course there's some like marks of all the women that have been gone but nothing that would really i don't think there was anything that would trace back to show that he had actually done anything just that might he might be a little bit weird and so just with saying all that it's like they don't they don't believe these cops don't feel smart they don't feel like they're following even the right scent. I mean, they bring in one guy and they're just like quivering around like like that. I don't remember his name at the beginning, but he's freaking like spazzing out. Um, I, uh, but I think that guy ends up killing himself and they're like, oh, darn, that's not good. <laughs> uh, I think that's what Robbie says. Uh, but it's like Jared Leto is just like kind of fucking with the cops the most of the time and he's kind of like walking around like he has this fucking like he has this like little walk with this it's like he has a a basketball under his uh uh 
whatever the hell he's wearing. It's like a onesie mechanical suit or something. And he's just kind of like always walking around. He's got this like, and he's like trying to act like he's a fat guy, I guess. I don't really know. He's not, he's, he's, he has this weird walk in this. I don't know what's going on with it. And that was one of the things that just caught my attention. I was like, what are you doing, man? And so it was just really unbelievable that this guy was doing anything. And the entire time, the entire movie, you're like, all right, this guy's going to do something. I mean, the the predictable thing would be to say, all right, so uh, Jared Leto is going to take him out there and maybe try to kill Rami Malek. Um, but will will the detective snap first, you know? So Sparma takes Baxter to a remote area in, um, in the desert. Uh, Sparma, Jared Leto, Baxter, Rami Malek. Um, and has him dig several holes before admitting that he never killed anyone. Baxter is skeptical and continues digging. Sparma begins to taunt him. Um, so when he's taunting him, this this is once again one of the times where you're supposed to believe that Jared Leto is just getting under their skin. You're like, oh, I can't believe you've been fucking with me this whole time. And what has it been, like a week? And I know that Rami's been like uh, Baxter, Jimmy Baxter has been looking after, uh, you know, trying to solve this case for like two months, I think. And it's not like an excessive amount of time. And so to have him spaz like this just does not make any sense um, from the <laughs> from the course of like the narrative of the structure of understanding these characters. Unless he was like completely unhinged, then, which evidently he was just moments away from get, killing him, or like have Jared Leto actually be a threat. I mean, I understand the point is to make make it that he's maybe not the threat, but there was like no reason for Rami to do any of it. He was barely being forced to do anything. It was blatantly obvious that the body wasn't out there. The thing was, you were you had to believe that Rami or, or Jimmy Baxter is kind of obsessed with this character, and I don't think that that's ever sold in this movie at all. Almost, I would have said that Denzel's character would have been more obsessed um, with Jared Leto, but I don't I don't really know to be honest. Um, we're missing the montage of Rami losing his shit right before he goes to see Jared Leto. Because Denzel's the one that loses his shit when they're in the the holding cell while they're uh, uh, containing him or questioning him. You kind of think that it might be Denzel. So, Baxter snaps. And strikes uh, Leto in the face with a shovel. Or uh, Sparma in the face with a shovel. Killing him. As Deacon arrives, a flashback reveals that he accidentally shot one of the survivors of the last case. And that Ferris and Dunigan, the coroners, helped cover it up. Deacon instructs Baxter to bury, uh, bury Sparma in the desert. Deacon spends the night collecting everything in Sparma's apartment and returns to the desert the following morning to find that Baxter has not buried Sparma and is still searching for the victim. Okay, so that's not evident to me at that point 
when we come back and we see that there's a bunch of more holes, it's not evident to me as the viewer that uh, that Jimmy Baxter has lost his shit and he just has to find this girl. It's not evident. It's not shown that he's obsessed to this point. And killing Leto might have pushed him to that point, but why? I didn't even feel like he was of that nature to like swing the shovel anyways. So, um, and it really did feel like Leto should have had a gun on him or... I don't. I guess because the, they want the fault to be fully on Jimmy Baxter, it's just like, okay, um, like this weirdo brought a cop out to the middle of the desert and told him to dig. Like this guy was probably gonna do something anyway. Like, honestly, Jimmy Baxter was probably gonna have to shoot him or hit him with a shovel, regardless. So <laughs> Leto was dead, regardless, in my opinion. Um, so let me see. Uh. Has not buried. Sparma is searching for the victim. Baxter is desperately is desperate to believe Sparma is the killer, hoping it will clear his conscience and close the case. See, it hasn't been long enough for this to happen, in my opinion, for this dude to just lose his shit. I'm just saying. Deacon advises him to forget about the case, or it will haunt him for life. Um, sure, I guess, like it's haunted Denzel. I mean, he's. Denzel has feels like he's like walking through the motions of this movie. There's a part where this, where they're in a car and it looks like they didn't finish the rendering or something like that, and it, it looks clearly like he got in a '90s car. In the back, they have like a green screen in the back. It's like, and it it, it looks really bad. Um, for twenty 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 one, it felt like something I could have done, but um, just looked really bad. So, uh, let me see. Later at his home, Baxter receives an envelope sent by Deacon containing a red barrette, like the one Honda Rathbun was wearing when she was abducted. Back in Kern County, Deacon burns everything he collected in the apartment, along with a brand new four-pack of barrettes that's missing a red barrette. So, we're supposed to believe that Denzel sent a barrette to Rami Malek to make him believe that Jared Leto was indeed the killer to kind of clear his conscience and there's like a flashback of one of the women i think that that was taken um i i was just like what is the connection to these women again like it might have made more sense i'm did i miss the part where like baxter was uh was kin to one of the women that had died because i did not get that at all and if it was he didn't say like let me find my sister or something like that i didn't i didn't hear any of that so I will say there's just, I mean, among many things, what is it? Uh, it was over two hours. It was, it felt slightly too long, and they didn't focus on the characters really, really losing their shit. I mean, yes, Denzel is staring at the women that have been killed and one that he killed um, on accident, and so... He's kind of obsessing over it on, in a ways, but there is nothing about this movie that really sh that really sends them in a way that would s send them losing their shit. Like, they need to be taunted by this guy. And I felt like uh, Denzel getting in a traffic jam and then, like, circling the traffic or highway for, like, ten minutes was ex not exciting at all. The chase scenes where Denzel was coming at the end and Rami was about to take 
Jared Leto out. Not the the pacing in it was just too long. The editing just did not work for me. I just had a lot of problems with this movie. So, um, you know, I, I'd be curious to hear what the people that really did like it uh, found positive about it because the most I could find were these were just really good actors and a really not great script. Um, but yeah, so. Let me know what you thought about it. The little things. The little things will get you caught. That's what will get you, buddy. You got to watch out for that. So, um, yeah. Thank you for listening, watching Look It Up Podcast. Let me know what you thought about the little things review. Let me know what you thought about the movie. Let me know what else I should review. And like, like rate, share, rate, share, subscribe, Look It Up Podcast. You know what to do. All the links are in the description. Patreon.com slash Look It Up Podcast. Thank you for supporting the girls in the podcast. Take it easy. I want to nail them too. Difference is, I'm doing it for me. It's the little things, Jimmy. It's the little things that rip you apart. It's the little things that get you caught. Mm.